Good morning. Thank you, uh, Dawn, for uh, those readings. And um, I hope it will become clear to you why I chose to uh, have that reading in Luke as we uh, look at the Word together today. I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open um, at Romans 1 and 2 and uh, you'll be able to... uh, You'll be able to just read and look at those verses and I trust the Spirit of God may speak to you as, uh, as we go through the, the service today and uh, perhaps something that I don't say but the Spirit of God can say to you as you're just looking at his word might be more important to you than, than anything else. Interesting uh, passage, the last part of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 of Romans. And we could spend today, uh, tomorrow and the rest of the week on any one of four or five different uh, worthwhile themes from that passage or those two passages. For me, I'm not a great theologian, Neville, so I don't think that uh, some of those things that are recorded there I would do justice to. But what I want to do today is I want to help you understand that we are all on a journey. It's very important uh, that we understand where we're at and most important that we understand what our relationship with God is really all about. There's a saying that says this, all is not well in the state of Denmark and those of you who are theatre goers will know that that's a quote from Act 1 and Scene 4 in Shakespeare's play. Now Brett you're looking like you probably didn't know that (laughs) but Hamlet describes things in Denmark as an unweeded garden of things rank and gross in nature. Romans 1 and 2 are not a touchy, feely part of scripture. Probably today you may feel uncomfortable about some of the things. I'm not going to deal with some of the subjects there. We could spend the whole morning talking about the gay and lesbian situation. There are some matters that are addressed very clearly there. But for me today I think that's not going to be the most helpful to us. The Jurassic Park trilogy is called The Lost World which is an apt description really of the world that we live in I think. The real lost world is what you and I walk about in every day. The world that we have to live and make our living in and so forth. And that world is a world that is full of things that is rank and gross in nature like an unweeded garden. So Shakespeare wasn't too far off the money when he described what it was like in Denmark. We like to think of God as a kind, loving, caring, forgiving person and he is. But we don't like the picture because it doesn't fit comfortably with us of a God of of wrath and a God of judgement, exacting judgement on the world. But God will one day do that. We uh, We don't like that sort of a picture. Why is God angry? How is God angry and what is he reacting to? Well, it's simple. From the verses we read in uh, that Dawn read to us, men have given up God for idolatry and he has given up men to immorality. 
It is the idolatry that really makes God angry. And the things that we bring into our lives that God does not want to be there. Men, Paul tells us, gave up a God by suppressing the truth. Mankind is not ignorant about God. No one has an excuse for saying there is no God, for not worshipping him, for not recognising him. And the things that God has made uh, are clear to us, uh, from the things rather that God has made, uh, we have a clear picture of his power and of his deity. And today we could focus on many different pictures painted by Paul in these two chapters. And I want you today to leave here with a clear understanding of where you stand personally with God today. God loves you too much to leave you in your present situation. Now I've added the Luke 18 passage because I think it's helpful to see the perspective uh, on how, uh, of Jesus' perspective on how God sees us today. In the Luke 18 passage, we have two men at church, two men saying their prayers. One is a good man. He's never cheated on his wife. He pays his taxes. He's a religious man. He's a regular at church. He gives 10% of all he earns away to charity. As a matter of fact, he's so holy that on two days of the week he doesn't even eat any food so that he can give more time to God and more time to prayer and you would have to say that's pretty impressive behaviour. He's a fairly impressive sort of person. The sort of person that probably would blend well in the local church. He might even blend well into our congregation here today. The other man on the uh, same day is a scumbag. He's a villain. He's a crook. And by his own admission, he's a tax collector. He makes his living out of robbing his neighbours and he's a traitor to his own nation. Yet Jesus tells us that only one of them will walk out of church today right with God. Only one of these men will leave today with God as his friend. Only one of them will be justified in God's sight. Ask yourself today, as you think about these things, who of those two men is going to go home at the end of the service right with God? We want to discover today what it is that can make a person right with God. The studies in Romans will take us on a journey, a journey of discovery. Paul declares in Romans 1 and 16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and we need to discover why the message of the gospel is so important to us today, tomorrow and indeed for the rest of our lives. It is in fact the most important message that you will ever hear and your response to it will be the most important decision that you will ever make. Not to labour labour the point but the message of Romans is not some irrelevant theology written thousands of years ago. It is vital for our well-being as much as breath is to our life. In Luke's parable, Jesus raises the most fundamental of all questions. What does God think of me? There is no more important question that you could ask today. 
perhaps other than as a follow-up question, what will God make of me on a day when I stand before him? As surely as you will at the end of history. Imagine for a moment that you were to die today. Imagine that you were to die this very hour. And there you are standing before God at the gate of heaven and God says to you, why should I let you in? What might your response be? What will your defence be to God as to why he should let you in? Justification is all about being right with God. The book of Romans is going to unveil that to us as we look over the next few weeks. This, of course, is the opposite to being condemned in the sight of God. This is very much the language of a courtroom. Guilty or not guilty are the only two possibilities that your judge can bring down in verdict in the court. At the end of history, the end of time when Jesus comes back to judge the earth, will we be those who are right with God or not? Surely, for you, that's the most important question today. Not to get too hung up about all the depths of the theology of these two chapters, but your personal relationship with God. We want these passages in Romans to help us to make a right response to that question. In Romans 1 and 2 we find very clearly what God thinks of the whole human race and more importantly what he thinks of you and I. In Romans 1 we focus, the focus is on them out there, uh, someplace else, not us. We're not as bad as them described in chapter 1, whoever them might happen to be. Whoever they might happen to be out there, fortunately, we're not as bad as them. That's the way we often think. Um, But if you look at chapter 2 and you cast your eye on verse 1, it says this, it becomes very personal and it puts the spotlight very clearly on us. It says this, you therefore have no excuse. And those of us today, as we consider these chapters together, have no wriggle room with God. See, God is the righteous judge who will judge the whole world. And despite whatever we might feel or think or conclude about who God is, at the end of the day, he puts the pressure right on us and says this is a personal thing for you to decide. Luke 18 and 9, uh, this was exactly the point of Jesus' parable. He was focusing on those who thought they knew where they stood with God and it is a message to those who are confident in their own righteousness. Romans 1 and 18 tells us that God's wrath is against those who suppress the truth and are confident in their own righteousness. Actually what Jesus and Paul are trying to tell us today is that it is a dangerous thing to have a misplaced confidence in our own plans, thinking that we know how things are going to work out in the end. In Romans 1 and 18, mankind had decided that they could thumb their noses at God. They could live as they chose and get away with it. You know there are consequences to thumbing your nose at God, to say, I don't care, I'll do what I like, I don't mind, I'll take my chances. There are consequences 
to those who thumb their nose at God. Verse 19 tells us that even though throughout all creation God has revealed himself so that nobody is able to say that they don't know what God is like, verse 19 says men are without excuse but as verse 21 says, although they knew God, they ignored him. How stupid. And worse still, by their behaviour, they gave God whatever you might like to describe people give you when you cut them off in the traffic crime, the bird or the thumb or the abuse or whatever. Yet people don't care. And sadly today the Bible's telling us people treat God like that. They just don't care or they become indifferent and, uh, and that's a tragedy. You know, mankind thinks that he's God with a small g, I think. We can do whatever we want to do and get away with it. But sadly, verse 24 makes it plain as to God's response. God gave them over to do whatever they wanted to do. And verse 1, uh, chapter 1 rather, in verse 28 says, Furthermore, since they think that it is worthwhile to retain, since they didn't think that it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. In simple language, God took the brakes off. And you know what happens if, if, the, if you take the brakes off your car on the hill, you know what's going to happen. It's not going to end well. And God, because of mankind's wickedness, took the brakes off and, and gave man the opportunity to do whatever he wanted to do. Why was God angry? Well, mankind had taken his creation and he trashed it. How would you feel? How would you feel if I went out to the car park today and I took a hammer and I went around your car and I belted all the panels in? The car that you had to work hard to save your money to to buy, most of you would be not too impressed. And yet that's what we've done to God. It's what we've done to God's creation. Mankind has trashed it. I don't think we'd be very impressed with that. Well, in some ways that's what we've all done to the world that we live in and the bodies God has breathed life into. And you know the sad thing, even as Christians, we can continue to do this consciously and subconsciously by how we live. Now man might think that he's got away with it, that it's all worked out okay, but sadly he's mistaken. He hasn't got away. He's hopelessly wrong. Some of us today need to know that we are not right with God even though we think that we are. It's what these passages are teaching us. We might think that we are right but we are not. We need to be told today through God's word to us that if we think it's not important to be right with God we're sadly mistaken. Matter of fact it's the biggest mistake that you could possibly make. Maybe today you think that it'll all work out okay as if by sort of osmosis it'll all fix itself. You won't have to do anything. It'll all just sort of work out in the end. And you might be thinking that you're okay. You're a decent person. You're not as bad as some and you're definitely better than others. You may think that God can accept you on that basis. However, Romans 2.16 makes it very clear that on one day God is going to call all of us to give an account. And uh, he is going to lay bare all the hidden secrets of our lives. 
how would it be if in readiness for that day we have a bit of a trial run, Garth, today? Rob, can we start with you? (laughs) But you're a godly man. You've been on the you've been on the journey a long time. What about any of us? None of us would like that today, would we? None of us would be very comfortable if we today had to lay bare the inner secrets of our heart. If we pull back the curtain and we had a trial run on what it's going to be like on the day when God will do that very thing to us, it would appear to me that the Pharisee in Luke 18 had that sort of take on life. He was full of self-confidence. He felt safe in his own righteousness instead of being right with God. And self-righteousness comes from a belief that you are good enough and that you are even better than others. Romans 2 talks to us about the danger of passing judgement on others, thinking that we are better than some when in God's eyes we are all the same. Today in this church, there really are only two groups of people. The way that God views it, there is either the saint or the sinner, the saved or the lost. And God knows who you are. But we don't know necessarily. We know one another by what we see as the outward appearance and by the fruits that we think that we see in each other's lives. But the truth is that we don't really know but God does. And for God to be true to his nature, God is the loving, caring, kind, forgiving, long-suffering God that people picture him to be. The God who would not condemn anybody to hell, well, that's not consistent with his character because that's why the wrath of God is equally as important to, to consider and understand as also the love of God. Today, God has no favourites. Romans 2 and verse 11 tells us that God treats all of us the same. God has no favourites, we are all equals. My stomach turned this week when I saw the news reports and I watched that backhoe or uh, the, the excavator scraping down in Gippsland looking for the remains of that little girl Prue. Missing for years been butchered by the hands of evil men. So if you compare yourself to the people that did that, you really are pretty good. You're a good citizen. You're the type of person who could make the world a better place. And the Pharisee was a model citizen. He paid his taxes. He went to church. Maybe he gave blood. He didn't do any harm to anybody. By the world's standards, he was a good man. He was right when he said that he was better than a lot of the other people who were hanging around the temple on that particular day. Jesus was quick to point out that even though he did all the right things, good as they are, he was still not right with God. And Romans 1 and 2 is pointing out to us that it is, has nothing to do with what we think It is all about God's standards, all about the the measure by which he measures the world. And sometimes we think that we can do as we like, we can treat God as though he doesn't exist 
and we will not be held to account. It is a very dangerous thing to compare ourselves with others like the Pharisee did and conclude on the basis of what we see that we are alright with God. Romans 1 and 2 makes it very clear that our standing before God has nothing to do with how we see ourselves but everything to do with how God sees us. And sadly today, some of you may be staking your eternal destiny on how good you are. Jesus says in the parable that it is good people, religious people, that are most likely to miss out on heaven. What a tragedy. Good people. People who attend church all the time. It's some of those people who have deceived themselves and maybe will miss out on heaven. Romans 1 makes it clear God is justified when he says that he will hold us to account being good will not be good enough on the judgement day. God calls us today to consider our ways, examine our hearts, evaluate what our confidence and our hope are really in. We can never be self-righteous if we compare ourselves with God. Romans 2 reminds us God will be fair and just when he calls to account and because he is righteous, his righteousness enables him to judge all mankind fairly. And Romans helps us to see how it is possible today to be right with God. It's a great thing. Romans helps us to understand how it is possible to be right with God. Romans 2 and 1 reminds us that at the time we pass judgment on others, we are bringing judgment on ourselves. John Stott said, it is a tragedy to recognise the failures, to, sorry, it is a tragedy to recognise failures in others but not to recognise them in ourselves. And Romans 1.29 clearly reminds us that we can all have a dark side affected by wickedness, evil, greed, lust, gossip, whatever you like to put in there, we, we all have a dark side and a potential and a propensity to go to that side. Sadly, all of us from time to time fail to honour God and to put him first as we know that we should. Being aware of, our, of the faults of others is not in itself necessarily wrong. It's failing to acknowledge our own faults where the problem lies. Romans 2 uh, verse uh, 2 and 3 remind us that we are but mere men and women who cannot escape the judgement of God. Paul says... As we see sin in others, we should recognise the grace and the patience of God's dealings with us. Chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul hopes a healthy understanding of God's coming judgement will lead us to repentance. As you sit here today, allow God to speak to you about anything and everything that is happening in your life right now. 2 and verse 5 reminds us how stubborn and unrepentant we can be. Tony read from the book of Ephesians. If he'd have gone over to chapter 4 and verse 18, he would have read a little phrase that says, because of the hardening of their hearts, God was not able to work. Because of the hardening of the heart. The, the word hardening 
is the word that we get our word calcification from and it's just like a crust had grown around the hearts of the people and they were unresponsive to the word. Verse 6 in chapter 2 reminds us that God is going to give each person according to what he's done. The reality is our very best will fall short of God's standards. Psalm 130 and verse 3 says this, If you, O Lord, kept the record of our wrongs, who could stand? Who of us today could stand if God kept the record of our wrongs? Being right with God can never be by human achievement. That is why I love Psalm 103. And it says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. In Jesus, that's what he's done. Now Romans 3, 10 and 11, uh, Romans uh, chapter 3 rather, and verses 10 and 11 are a frightening wake-up call and these will be dealt with next week but I just want to read to you what it says. It says there is none, no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, no one, no one, no one. Paul repeats it three times as to drive home the, the point of how important it is to deal with this issue. Verse three, uh, chapter 3 and verse 20 tells us that no one will be right with God by observing the law or comparing themselves with others or giving money or being part of this church or being religious. None of that will count when it comes to the end day. Let me ask you, are you right with God today? That's the question. That's the question. Are you right with God today? Are you sure about that? What gives you confidence to stand before God? I'm sorry if you feel targeted today. If you feel you're here and being buttonholed or preached at. And I was going to say I'm sorry if you feel uncomfortable. But in actual fact I'm probably not. Because that's what it's all about. We need to feel uncomfortable. We need to understand a holy, righteous God will not stand by and do nothing. And with the passing of time, man thinks that's what he's doing. But the Bible makes it very clear that one day he will call us to account. We don't know when that one day will be. Listen to what Jesus is saying to you today. We can't fix it on our own. We can't make it on our own. We can't fix our own problems. We are lost today without Jesus. That's the reality. How then is it possible to be right with God? Go back to the Luke 18 passage and in verse 13 it says this, This is the tax collector. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now that's a very good place to start to sort the problem out. And he went home justified with God on the basis of his plea. You know we're told three things about this man. One, he stands at a distance. I wonder if he felt that he didn't really even belong there that he felt that he was not worthy to be there 
and so he stands at a distance. He doesn't even feel comfortable to be in with the church people. Second thing we're told is that he wouldn't even look up to heaven in contrast to the Pharisee. He's looking down at his feet. He won't lift his eyes. He's looking down because he's nervous and he's very conscious of his own failings. We're all conscious of our own failings. We, we all fail, we know that. We have feet of clay, as the scripture tells us, and we are often less than perfect, and less than what we would, should be, less than what God would want us to be, and that was what this man's situation was. And the third thing is that he beats his breast. And to me that says that he is just in utter despair. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to sort the problem out. He's just despondent about the state that he finds himself in. Why? Because he recognises he's a sinner and he recognises he's in need of help. There's no greater discovery you could make today than to recognise that you're a sinner and that you're in need of help. And you might have been in this church for a long time, might have been in another church, but if your relationship with God is not right, then today is the opportunity to do something about it. He recognises that there are consequences to how he'd been living. He recognises that God will hold him to account as Romans 1 and 2 teaches us. And there are consequences for us as Christians today, how we are living. And God will hold us to account. It was the bad man who went home from the temple justified that day. Isn't that good? It was the bad man. It wasn't the bloke who thought he was right. It was the one who recognised his need. How is it that we can leave here today right with God? It is because of the gospel, the good news, that God loves us too much to leave us in our hopeless estate. And Jesus died for our sin according to the scripture. The tax collector placed his whole life in the hands of a forgiving God. Will you do likewise? If you're a Christian today, rejoice in the fact that your sins are forgiven, that you've passed from death to life. You don't need to do anything to add to what God has done. He's done it all. Living the joy and the freedom today, the confidence in our position as a child of God. And if we are right with God, we will be a church that is filled with gratitude We will be a church eager to serve, eager to serve one another, eager to serve our community, a loving and a safe place to be, a church filled with hope for the future. The Christian life is not meant to be a burden to bear. If God is for us, we can have great confidence about the future. Our standing before God is based solely on what Jesus has done. It is his life, not ours, that counts. It's not how we feel because our feelings often betray us. By God's mercy, we can all be his children today. Nothing could be more important than that. The passage finishes in Romans 2.16 that in a day to come, God will judge men's secret thoughts through Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Because we have no idea when that day will come. We have no idea 
how, how long we will live. We have no idea when God will call us to give an account. That's why for those of us who are Christians, so important to keep short accounts with God. If there are some issues you need to deal with, you deal with them today. For a lot of us, we've been coming here for a long time and we get comfortable and we also allow things in our lives that are not right but we become comfortable with them. If there's some baggage, deal with it today. If it's a relationship, if it's a sin that you would be embarrassed if we were all to know about today, take courage, deal with it today. And if you're a person who has never come to an understanding of what it is to have your sin forgiven, to be set free and to be confident that when God calls you to account, he will see you and deal with you through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiven. Come and talk to us afterwards. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Your word is quick and powerful. It's very sobering today. It speaks to my own personal, to me personally, to my heart. Speak to the hearts of everyone here today. You know every heart. You, you know if a person is yours or not. You know how important it is that these matters get dealt with. And we know that you are a God who will one day exact judgement on the world that we live in. So, Father, we just commit ourselves to you. We seek your blessing and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.